live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. He had signed a 13-year, $350 million deal last week. The fourth largest contract in MLB history. So that was going to be a big day now. They were supposed to introduce him, but they did not. At the last minute, they, quote, postponed their own presser, reportedly over concerns about his physical. Now, this is weird, right? Really weird, strange, unusual. Not really what you want to see as you're about to throw the dude a 13-year deal for over a third of a bill. Like, why are they canceling that presser? And that is an uh-oh. Uh-oh. You know, at the time, it seemed like an uh-oh, but more of a smaller scale uh-oh, like Elisa Salter's uh-oh, uh-oh. as opposed to a Carl Lewis uh-oh. But something was not right. Something was off. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is something was off, but certainly fixable. And maybe you don't lose sleep over it. Or so we thought. Because while everybody was sleeping, John Heyman dropped this absolute nuke of breaking news. He tweeted at 2.30 a.m. Eastern, 11.38 p.m. Pacific. Quote, breaking. Carlos Correa and the Mets have a deal. 315 mil, 12 years. Let me repeat. Carlos Correa and the Mets have a deal. 315 million, 12 years. I mean, hold up. What? 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 Everybody's first thought was the only first thought to have about a tweet like that coming in the middle of the night about 12 hours after the dude was going to be introduced on somebody else's team, introduced as the new face of the Giants. And the thought was, everybody who was awake collectively thought, this can't be real. This cannot be real. There's no way. Remember the last time that John Heyman shocked the world with a tweet? It was very iconic, but also completely erroneous. At John Heyman tweeted previously, arson judge appears headed to Giants. Well, needless to say, that's not true. Arson Judge remains unsigned. And Aaron Judge is a Yankee. So naturally, Giant fan, if Giant fan was still awake, didn't trip too hard on that and was reluctant to accept and believe that Correa was now a Met. Didn't believe the tweet because, well, Arson Judge. So Giant fan if for some reason was awake and surfing the social media cesspool in the middle of the night, probably thought, it's fine, it's good, i.e. arson judge. I got bad news for everybody in the Bay Area who was not up doom scrolling all night long because the tweet is real. The Giants have lost Carlos Correa for real. He's gone. He is now a New York Met. So now we can upgrade the Lisa Salters uh uh-oh to a full-blown Carl Lewis uh uh-oh and add to that Uh of all the dramatic things. Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen. For real. The Mets somehow ripped Carlos Correa from the Giants in the middle of the night. (laughs) They swiped him 
Like, they ran in with a burlap sack, and they bagged this dude, and they threw him in the back of an unmarked white van, and they sped off back to Queens. They saw an opportunity, and they pulled off an Ocean's Eleven-style midnight heist. And somehow, they got their dude for fewer years, fewer dollars, and they got him to slide over to third base. Francisco Lindor remains the Mets shortstop. And now, incredibly, the Mets have a left side of the infield worth 656 mil. The left side of the infield alone. The Moneybag Mets and Mr. Moneybags himself, Steve Cohen, have now committed $806 million in guarantees since free agency got underway. On November 10th, over 800 mil in the last six weeks. I mean, there are spending sprees, and then there are spending rampages, and then there's the offseason from the Moneybag Mets, who will now have a payroll tax. To put a proper perspective on this, they now have a payroll tax bill. The payroll tax alone is in the ballpark of $110 million, which means the Mets' payroll tax bill alone is now projected to be more than the league average total payroll. That's incredible. The Mets will be paying more in payroll taxes alone than half the league will be paying their entire team. Their payroll, the Mets' payroll, will also be 95 mil more than the Yankees next season, who are the second highest in baseball. Essentially, the Mets are the Yankees. They are now. Steve Cohen is the new boss. But to be totally honest, I mean, all this money, what does it really get you? What are they paying for? What are they getting for all that money? I'm not sure these moves actually make them significantly better or even a little better than the Braves or the Phillies. All of that, and they still might be the third best team in their own division with by far the highest payroll in the history of the sport. But at least they're trying. At least they're spending. A plus for effort. You got to acknowledge the hustle. You have to respect the hustle and the bat bleep crazy exorbitant paper that they're throwing around right now. Meanwhile, what about the Giants? Man, they can't get anybody to take their cash. And Giant fan... Hey, Giant fan. Giant fan keeps getting juked right the hell out of their shoes and then kicked straight in the stick. Giant fan thought they had Aaron Judge for about an hour. They thought they had Carlos Correa for about a week. In the end, they get nothing. Hey, Giant fan, you you get get nothing. Nothing. Hey, Frisco fan. Giant fan gets nothing except one of the rudest awakenings ever today. One of the biggest wake up, look at your phone, and immediately scream WTF moments ever. So what the hell happened here? The hell just happened. You've got a 28-year-old in his prime who has played in 89% of his team's games over the past three years, but apparently flunked a physical and apparently flunked a physical for Frisco, but the Mets don't care that he flunked that physical. What exactly happened? Is it possible that this is the first ever 
physical that was flunked for having cold feet. Dude, we can't sign that guy's feet are frozen. I mean, I didn't even know that that was a medical thing or a possible thing unless we're talking about Antonio Brown's cryogenic freezer burn on his feet. Remember? My feet is pretty much getting circumcised. That line doesn't get enough credit. I forgot about that line. Thank you, Alvin. My feet is pretty much getting circumcised. Yeah, my feet is pretty much getting circumcised, right? Right? Is that a question or a statement, AB? Right? You want to see it? No, no. Are you sure you want to see it? come out of the house yet, even? Anyway, what about Carlos? Were his feet getting circumcised? What happened here? Or did he just change his mind at the last second? Or is there really some kind of mystery injury that caused the Giants to cancel their plan A for the next decade plus at the very last second? A mystery injury that the money back Mets don't care about? A foot circumcision? What the hell is going on here? Whatever it is, the dude is a Met. And the Giants, once again, get nothing. Maybe they need to track down Arson Judge and get him back to the negotiating table. Or maybe they can go throw some mad cash at Treat Turner. Even Vander Bogarts might be able to help at this point. Or maybe they just go all in on their rotation with Dustin Verlander or Fakeub DeGrom. This has got to be like the best hot stove season ever. They say NBA free agency tops the NBA regular season. And the MLB hot stove is like, please, hold my beer, please. Our regular season is barely watchable. And the postseason is only about a hunk of metal. But free agency, damn. Straight fire, yo. MLB suddenly has drama for days. Yeah, I admit I'm here for it. Keep it up, baseball. Man, I'm here for it. I wish this guy was here for it. Hey, Frisco fan. Hey, hey, Frisco fan. Remember when Carlos Correa rounded third? Remember when Kung Fu Panda rounded third? And second? And second? And first? And first? And home? And home? Without even being on the team? Without even moving? But at least the Niners are crushing it, eh, Frisco fan? That's more than you can shake a 33-ounce stick at. That's more than you can shake a 33-ounce stick at. Unfortunately for you Giant fans, taking a look at your roster, nothing changes. Your pitchers still well, won't be pitching well. Pitchers aren't pitching well. Your hitters definitely won't be hitting well. Our hitters aren't hitting well. Your fielders won't be fielding well. Our fielders aren't fielding well. And your well. fans aren't fanning well. Our fans aren't fanning well. But war you, Giants fan. Without the stems and seed that you don't need. Without the stems and seeds that you don't need. Oh, glory to my man, Mike. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. 
reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? He is Andrew Whitworth. Andrew, great to have you back. How are you? What's going on, man? I'm glad to be back. I'm doing great. Good, dude. You look great. It's great to have you on. Thanks so much. Let me start here. You were always tremendous with the media as a player. What has been the biggest transition you've had to make now that you're a member of the media and you're on the other side now? You know, the worst part has been I text some of my buddies that I've played with, and they'll always respond with something like, is this a player text or is this a media text? And it just hurts my feelings that uh, all of a sudden they see me on the other side of the line. I'm on the dark side now, apparently, to some of these guys. No, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun to, to cover the game. And, uh, you know, and some of those guys give me a hard time now for for being a media member. Uh, but it's been so much fun. I'm so excited every week to watch the games, cover it. Obviously, this game's changed my life, so I'm really passionate about it, and I love watching guys and their new journeys. I can appreciate that response. So what about tomorrow night? You've got Jets and Jags. What do you make of Robert Sala's handling of Zach Wilson, and how do you think that he's going to fare against a suddenly resurgent Jags team? Well, I think it, it just increases the pressure on him, right? I mean, you think of uh, obviously everything that's been around him from the response to the game against New England to him getting benched. And then now, you know, Mike White gets hurt and he's getting his opportunity again, not really because they believed in him, but because it's their only option. So I think that for him, I can't imagine for Zach that confidence things are not just swirling all through his head, right? Like you're getting put back in really because of an injury. Uh, I think Robert Sala's tried his best to defend him all he can. But then now you're also facing the guy that you got picked after and people believed in more who's on fire and who had that moment already this season against Denver where he responded the right way and has really torn the league up since then in the last six games. So now here you are facing him. So you got the pressure of being on prime time, lots of media, lots of news around this topic. And then you're facing Trevor Lawrence, who's in your draft class. And we all know how that goes with draft picks. They can all act like it doesn't matter, but they want to play better than the guy that's in their draft. So I think there's a lot of pressure on him right now, and it's going to be how he handles it Thursday night. A really interesting response. Andrew Whitworth joining us. Really quickly, I mean, can you tell by the second year whether or not a quarterback has the goods, whether or not a quarterback is built for success in that league, or is that still not enough of a sample size? I think it's tough. I mean, any young player, especially now, I mean, you you know this. I mean, you've been around the game forever, is that – you know, used to, I think, early in my career, it was all about how long can you keep them out of the game and maybe not put them out there other than, like, super rare guys. It was like, hey, can we give them time not being on the field as a young player so they can watch for a minute uh, and, and kind of catch up to the game? And there's only few guys that got out there early, and not many of them had a lot of early success. And they were kind of on teams that were defensive-led anyways. And so I think now there's just so much pressure for these guys to play well early. I'd say the biggest alarms aren't about the play. It's a little bit of how he's handled some of it. You know, I mean, I don't know him personally. So, you know, obviously you hear things about what a good guy is and these things. But just some of those responses and interviews and things that you've done, they do tell you a story that like, hey, man, at this position, you got to be prepared that you got to wear the weight every week. And that's just a fact of playing NFL quarterback. And if you can't handle that well, then 
all the other things are going to be even more challenging. So I think to me, he's got to learn that mind frame and the mindset that it takes to play that position. You got to have thick skin and you got to be able to be accountable for yourself and your team because it's always going to be put on you whether you win or lose. Andrew Whitworth is joining us. You know, Whit, I think that most people knew the Rams were going to have some significant challenges this year, especially up front with you retiring. I don't think anybody could have seen the year going the way it's gone. I want to ask you about something, though. I thought you did a great, great interview with Sean McVay recently. And by the way, props to you. Where is the athlete that can conduct that interview that soon after retiring? I thought you did a great job. I want to say that. Number two, I was really struck in how candid he was. Granted, the two of you are very close, so maybe he's going to tell you something that he wouldn't tell me or somebody else. But I was really struck by him saying, you know, I didn't know that my identity was as wound up in being the head coach of the Rams as it is until adversity struck and then my insecurities came to the front. You never hear head coaches speak like that. What was your biggest takeaway from that conversation with him? I think that was really the, the interesting part for me is that I, I knew that he had been going through this the, this year and we'd had obviously talked every week. And and so, you know, for us to sit down and him to feel comfortable enough to share that with the world, I thought was really special. It showed a little bit of who our relationship is. I really appreciate you saying that about the interview. But that that that's probably the most nervous I've been since I was a rookie in the NFL facing Terrell Suggs with my first start. Because it, here's Sean McVay, uh, this amazing coach, you know, boy wonder, genius guy, and I got to sit here and interview him in a sit down. But it was it was really cool for him to say all that because I think that's it's it's neat to see that he's in this motion too. We talk about Zach Wilson and his maturity. Well, here's this coach who's won a Super Bowl, has had all this success, is one of the youngest to ever do it, and now here he is having this moment where he's like, you know what, I need to find more balance in who I am because that's going to help me be here for the long haul in a better way and to be in these situations. If they come up, I'll handle them better the next time and I'll find ways to get out of them better. I think it was really open and honest and humble for him to sit there and do that. And I think it showed people a little what makes him so special is his ability to be accountable and all you know, obviously all the skills he has as a great coach and leader and, and communicator. But to do that, show that accountability is what really separated that moment to me for him. I'm talking with Jay Woods of Omega Tax Credits about small businesses under 500 employees qualifying for a tax refund from a new program. Tell me again, Jay, how long does it take for somebody saying, yeah, I don't know, I probably don't qualify. I'm saying find out because you don't know. How long does it take for them to find out? You don't have a more important 10 minutes in your day than these 10 minutes. That's it. 800-704-2000 or go to omegataxcredits.com and find out. Jay is right for your business. There is not a more important 10 minutes. Andrew Whitworth joining me for another moment or so. You mentioned Terrell Suggs. Can I assume that that was your welcome to the NFL moment? How about them dropping you in against T-Sizzle, man? That dude was a monster. How big and how skilled was he and what was that day like? What do you remember? Uh, unbelievable. I remember my rookie year, you know, the first game I had to go in the game with Simeon Rice. My first ever NFL start was Julius Peppers and Mike Rucker at that time were dominating the league. And then my first Thursday night football game was actually Terrell Suggs and the Baltimore Ravens. And that was a three week consecutive deal there. And I'll tell you what, it was survival. Okay. I, you know, you want to talk about holding. I was latching on every play, just, you know, counting the seconds that Carson might have the ball in his hand. Please get it out. It's funny. There's no doubt. So, you know, you think about the teams that are the ones to beat right now, the real contenders. You think about Philadelphia on top of the NFC. You think about the AFC and the Chiefs and the and the Bills. Could it be that the team that you played most of your career for are the Bengals right now as hot as anybody, and might they be the ones to beat? 
I think really they are. I mean, to me, you know, not just because I played there, and, and obviously I think maybe, you know, I'm a little biased, but you you look at their season. They've overcome injuries. They've overcome, hey, you know what, the defense has to lead us through this game and we'll find ways to win it. Um, they found a way to shut down really good offenses when they needed to. Uh, even in a game like last week, you you go out and it looks like you're going to lay a complete egg in the first half. And all of a sudden, boom, you're up 34. You know, you score 34 points and you dominate the team. Like, how does that happen? To me, you got to have a rare special team that can do stuff like that. And so when I look at the playoffs, I look at every team's going to have to have a moment where there's complimentary football. And they've been one of the best at it this year, them and the Buffalo Bills. And you never want to pick against Patrick Mahomes, but who's the one guy that's found a way to beat him? And that's Joe Burrow consistently. So I really think Cincinnati has as good a chance as anybody in that conference of being right there in the Super Bowl again. Oh, I do too. I love them. I love them. So last top before you go, a broadcast team to me, Witt, is similar to any other team, similar to chemistry matters. You want to like and you want to respect the crew that you work with. How has the chemistry on the team, on the set come together? And what's it like for you to be a part of that particular team on Prime? I think one of the best things for us has been being on site because you're you're like a traveling circus, right? I mean, everybody's going together. You're all meeting in the city, uh, you know, that you're at on Wednesday and having your meetings and getting ready for the game. And so that camaraderie, just you know, through Carissa and Tony and Ryan and Sherm and Michael Smith and Taylor Rooks. I mean, our our pregame, halftime, postgame group, like we we've spent so much time together, just fellowship and hanging out. And for me, it's it's a whole new locker room, right? I left a locker room in the NFL that. You know, all players talk about that experience and how hard it is to jump into a new one and have this, hey, we travel, so we're all together in these moments. Uh, you know, I think it's been really fun to not just be together on a set, but to be together for dinner and meetings and on the road in the hotel has really helped us gel and get to know each other really well. And I couldn't, you know, honestly have been having more fun and getting to know all of them. I mean, we, we are a tight group, you know, all the text groups, everything else, uh, having fun with each other. It's been a blast. It's extremely well said. That's part of the bonding experience, and that's how you coalesce and gel by having that time on the road together. He is a Super Bowl champ, a four-time Pro Bowler, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner, and a member of the Prime Video Thursday night football team, another good matchup tomorrow. Andrew Whitworth, my guest. Whit, great to have you back. That's a really good conversation. I appreciate you so much. Thank you very much for doing it. Always thankful for the time, man. Appreciate you. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. Aaron Murray is my guest. Aaron, it's great to have you on. How are you? 
Doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy holiday season. Happy holidays, dude. Good to have you. So why don't we jump right into it? Georgia, Ohio State. I want to ask you about that matchup. A couple of things there. Not many teams obviously can match up with Georgia, but despite getting blown out, Aaron, by Michigan, the Buckeyes might be one of the few teams that at least athletically have got the talent to hang with them. But how do you think that plays out when they hit the Peach Bowl in the national semifinal? Well, I do worry about the physicality of Ohio State on both lines of scrimmage. I think that's where Georgia will lean um, uh, on defense, especially. I think the one thing that makes C.J. Stroud a little bit different than, say, Hendon Hooker, that, that did worry me a little bit early in the season when they played Tennessee, or even Bryce Young last year, both in the SEC championship game and in the national championship game, is those two quarterbacks are mobile. And as a defensive line, that's always in the back of your head. Like, how aggressive can I be in my pass rush? Can I go 100% or do they be you know, essentially more focused on keeping that guy in the pocket, which gives them another second or two seconds. And any second with talented receivers is all you need as a quarterback in order to take a top off a of defense. So I think for Georgia and guys like Jalen Carter, knowing that, hey, CJ Stout is going to hit his point. It's going to be a three-step drop in the gun. He's going to be nine yards, 10 yards deep inside the pocket. And, and, and we're just going to hit play and get after his butt every single play. I think that gives that defensive line the, the advantage. I think it gives the, the secondary a bigger advantage knowing that they don't have to cover receivers for five, six seconds like some of those more athletic quarterbacks can do against a, a very, very good defense. So, you know, Ohio State's going to have to take some chances. Uh, I think between the 40s, they're going to just have to say, hey, man, we got to go big. We got to take a chunk play down the field because any elite defense, especially Georgia, what we've seen over the past couple of years, if you think you're going to methodically move the ball down the field, if you think you're going to execute at a consistent clip inside the 20-yard line, you're not going to come away with touchdowns. And um, Georgia's just too good. So I, I like Georgia as a matchup right now, especially on the defense side of the football. I, I, I Listen, I like CJ. I like uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think they're really talented. I just worry about them being as physical, a little bit too one-dimensional, and obviously the lack of a, a mobile quarterback kind of plays right into what Georgia wants to do on defense. Well, I think you're right. Really interesting chess matchup, especially against the Georgia defense, which is that good. Aaron Murray joining us. Aaron, so, I mean, you know this team very, very well. Obvious question, but how does this Georgia team compare to last year's Georgia team? What are the differences? This has been a fun conversation in, in the state of Georgia this, this past couple of weeks of like which team is better. Uh, and I've, we've seen some recent polls about, you know, this team ranks higher than last year's team. And, you know, a lot has to do with the fact that this team's undefeated and last year's team lost in the SEC championship game. I still like last year's team a little bit more. I think on defense, obviously they they were loaded. We, we all know the amount of first rounders that they went off this defense. And not saying this defense is not going to have that. There's probably four, five, six guys that will go first round either in this draft or in, in the next couple of years draft with how young they are on that side of the football. Um, I like, to me, the skill a little bit better on offense. And obviously Stetson's played at a higher level right now than for the majority of the season last year. But I thought Stetson played really well last year in both the Orange Bowl and the National Championship. Obviously the tight end position was very similar with Brock Bowers. Uh, I thought the receivers were playing a little bit better towards the end of last season than they are right now. A lot having to do with just the health of A.D. Mitchell, uh, but really the running backs. And, and it's been a position that has gotten better this season. But, you know, last year with Zeus and especially James Cook out of the backfield, Todd Munkin did such a good job of finding ways to get those guys matched up against linebackers and safeties. And, you know, I kind of always felt like Georgia's best games were when James Cook had four or five, six catches for 70 plus yards and obviously running the football as well. So, you know, Kenny McIntosh has come on this season, has had some big games 
And, and I think if Georgia wants to really dominate these next two matchups, you know, beat Ohio State and then go on to, to, to hopefully beat Michigan or TCU, it's really going to be those running backs getting matched up out of the backfield along with those tight ends as uh, the big difference. But uh, back to your question, I, I would still take last year's team just because of the depth and skill and leadership on that defense uh, a little bit over this year's team. We're talking to Aaron Murray, who is a very courtesy of Twisted T, which we'll talk about in one minute. I'm glad you mentioned Stetson Benson, or Stetson Bennett, I should say. Aaron, I was going to say, you know what comes along with playing quarterback at Georgia, the demands, the expectation, the pressure. He's been, I mean, he's gone from walk-on to Heisman Trophy finalist. It has not been easy. It's been a journey. What do you make of the way he's dealt with all the scrutiny and adversity along the way? I think he's done a great job with it. Um, you know, I've talked to guys like Shock and Greeny and Stafford, and you know, we were all given the keys to the car. You know, we were all highly recruited, came on the campus, even a guy like Jake Fromm, and Jake kind of earned it and, and and went it away from Jacob Eason a little bit. But you know, there was never any real doubt from the fan base. And and Stetson has had to kind of fight the narrative. The narrative has been from day one that hey, you should be grateful that you're the starting quarterback at Georgia. And we really kind of, yeah, we're not sure if we want you here. We got Carson Beck and uh, other four and five-star guys on the roster right now that we've emotionally invested in during their high school ranks and, and kind of want those guys to be our quarterbacks. Our QB ones are going to lead us to the promised land. And, and Stetson just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. And, and, and kind of the favorite story of, of who Stetson Bennett is to me is, you know, I was at a practice three or four years ago. It was a fall camp. A scrimmage inside Sanford Stadium and the ones went the twos went back and forth back and forth uh good good first half essentially of a scrimmage football game and then everyone went into to the locker room besides really the uh the freshmen and the walk-ons and that was Stetson Bennett's opportunity to play he got about five ten minutes of reps and then that was it it was like all right halftime's over with ones and twos back out you guys can now get the second half to play this simulated game and all of a sudden injuries occur and Stetson Bennett is thrust into the starting position and goes out there and plays really well, wins the job the following year, and then obviously leads him to a national championship. He has done more with less opportunity than anyone else. Like I would get spring and summer and fall camp to work with him once. He never really got that until this offseason. So it's just amazing to me to see the mental strength of, of Stetson. To, to get those mental reps, uh, whether it's in practice or in the film room, to always make sure that he was ready to go when his number was called. And, you know, I said this a few weeks ago and, and posted it, but uh, we, we are all judged off wins. And, and, and why is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time in the NFL? It's not because he's the most talented. Guy runs a 5-4. I think he has really good arm strength. He's accurate. He's all that. But he's not more talented than, than Aaron Rodgers. He's not more talented than, you know, the guys like of today of Josh Allen or, or Patrick Mahomes. But why is he the greatest? Because he won a championship. And if you look at Georgia's history, there's only been a couple of them, uh, him being the second one behind Buck. To me, he's the greatest quarterback in Georgia history. Won a natty, won a SEC championship, you know, went to New York as a Heisman finalist, has a chance to win another national championship. Not saying he's the most talented. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers compared to Tom Brady. We all know Stafford is the most talented quarterback in Georgia history, the most accomplished and the, the, the quarterback that won it to me is the reason why he's he should be the GOAT when it comes to Georgia quarterbacks. So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out and you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You're good. You can make it. It's not that big of a deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. 
Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. Really interesting. Aaron Murray joining us. So let me ask something really quickly off topic. You spoke with one of my best and oldest friends in this business and probably the guy, the guy that I've talked to longer than I'm better friends with. And and you know how this is, Aaron. You want to be careful about getting too close to anybody. You have to maintain an objectivity. But you had Arkansas basketball coach Eric Musselman on your show recently. That's my guy right there, dude. We go way, way, way back. What do you make oh. of Muss as a coach and a dude? Because I know you had him on for a reason. Yeah, no, he's he's one of the best in the in the business, and it's been, you know, really excited as a you know, obviously going to Georgia and being a fan of the SEC to see this conference grow when it comes to to basketball. And a lot has to do with obviously what he's doing there at Arkansas. You see Bruce Pearl at Auburn. You see the success that 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 Alabama's had. You see Georgia, you know, getting their new coach from Florida. They're having some success this year too. Obviously, we know Kentucky's always going to be a contender, and that brand is 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 huge. But you know, him as a coach, as a recruiter, as a person, uh, is 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 a reason why this program is is where they are today and having success. And and really, it's the entire. I would say the entire athletic program there at Arkansas, some of the, 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 my favorite coaches there, and they built a really good um, environment in which, you know, basketball supports football and football and Sam Pittman supports basketball and they support baseball and they support gymnastics and women's sports and all that. Like they are there to, to help elevate everyone's game. It's not, Oh man, I'm, I'm ticked off because football is doing well. And, you know, they may get more resources than us because of that. No, no, it is a true community there at Arkansas, it's because of people like Coach Musselman. It's because of people like Coach Pittman that are really there for the betterment of Arkansas. Obviously, they're individual players and they're in their team, but really the brand of Arkansas has grown a ton over the past couple of years because of coaches like them. All right, so we covered a lot of good ground. You are appearing courtesy of Twisted Tea. Exactly what is it and what are you doing with the folks to promote the game? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, I'm a, I'm a Georgia boy now. So I uh, grew up in Florida. Uh, now now love me some tea ever since I stepped foot on campus to Georgia. So it's good that I can get a little tea with a little alcohol on it, a little 5%, little twisted action. Uh, so right now they're doing limited edition UGA packs heading into this big game. You can get it all over the state of Georgia. So be on the lookout for that. A great way to kick off your, your tailgate, whether in person there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium or at home. And if you're not in Georgia, it's okay. It's okay. They got a game day party pack. Four of their top flavors will be in there. You can get it anywhere in the country. It's a great way to celebrate the holidays. Great way to celebrate some football and have a good time with Dude, friends and you, family. You beat me to it. I was going to say, can people outside of Georgia get it? And if so, where? Yeah, anywhere. I'm sorry. They got they, 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 they got the hookups. But if you're in Georgia and you got that red and black in your blood, you're going to want to get the fancier ones. Get a little G on there to, uh, to get that mind right for a nice little back-to-back natty run. Get your mind right. I like it. He played his college ball at Georgia, selected by the Chiefs in 2014, an analyst for ESPN, the SEC Network, Sirius XM Radio, and appearing courtesy of the T, Twisted T. Aaron, really appreciate it. Great job. Nice to have you on. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me. I hate to say this, but another really sad story to hit on this morning as former Pittsburgh Steeler 
And Hall of Famer Franco Harris has passed away at the age of 72. And again, if that weren't sad enough, his death comes just two days before the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Only three days before the Steelers were scheduled to retire his number 32 jersey during a ceremony at halftime of its game against the Raiders. So not only did Franco Harris make what is arguably the most famous play in NFL history, he went on to help the Steelers win four Super Bowls and, of course, a Hall of Famer. So we're not talking about some guy who was in the right place at the right time who made some crazy, fluky play that what he's known for, and that's all he's known for. That's not what that is. He was arguably the heart and soul of those teams and that entire dynasty. As great as those teams were, and they were on both sides of the ball, obviously, all three phases, and they were some of the best teams ever, they don't win those four rings, and they're not the dynasty that they were without Franco Harris. And not only was he that critical, he played some of his best ball when it mattered most in the Super Bowl, in the postseason. He put up enormous numbers in the postseason. So seeing him pass is really sad in and of itself. And seeing it happen right before, I mean, the week of, right before the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, and only three days before the Steelers retired his number because generally they don't do that sort of thing, is really pretty heartbreaking. And speaking of the immaculate reception, I've always said growing up in Los Angeles, my three sports heroes, when I was a kid, my three sports idols were L.A. Dodgers third baseman Ron Say, L.A. Lakers guard Gail Goodrich, and Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Terry Bradshaw. I know, one of these is not like the others. But I was obsessed with sports when I was a kid. I was obsessed with all three of these guys. They were my dudes. Those were my idols. And the reason a kid from L.A. loved the Steelers is not because L.A. didn't have a football team. They did then. One of my earliest recollections of sports as a kid, and something that really resonated with me at that time was being a kid in front of the TV and seeing the Immaculate Reception. I was eight years old when that happened. And like most of the nation, I was absolutely mesmerized by that actual play in that moment. And it was right then and there that the Steelers became my favorite football team. So growing up in Los Angeles, I was always all about the Dodgers, the Lakers, and strangely, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then ultimately, Terry Bradshaw became my dude. Bradshaw was my idol. Bradshaw, you know, dorkish as this is, for my 16th birthday, I wanted a painting that I saw of Terry Bradshaw in the mall. That's what I asked for. Not a car, not something else. Not, not even It wasn't even a poster now. This was a really expensive painting. I remember what it cost at the time, and I remember thinking there's no way my parents are going to go for that. That painting at that time was five bones, 500 bucks for a painting. And I remember saying when my parents asked me, it's your 16th birthday. It's pretty important. What do you want? And I said, all I want is that painting of Terry Bradshaw. And sure enough, they got it for me. So Bradshaw was my idol. But the Steelers were my team growing up, and it was because of Franco Harris. 
and the immaculate reception. We're just saying the other day, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds, but I stopped wearing other people's jerseys right around the time I turned 12. Like, I'm not that guy. I've never been adult jersey guy. Not that I want to bite the hand that feeds. But when I think about it, that's actually not true. It's not. I've always prided myself on not being a fanboy. I've always prided myself on not being some homer while hosting this show. But the fact of the matter is, when I was growing up, I was actually that guy. In fact, I can remember many a Friday at Calabasas High School. 818 for life, yo. Many a Friday at Calabasas High School, nerding out. Nerding out hard and wearing a Steeler jersey going into the weekend before the Steelers played. Like I was some sort of super fan, super nerd kook. Didn't care. Loved the team. Loved it. Gotta love it. But I remember that. I remember those Fridays just as I remember dreading Mondays after they lost, knowing all the crap that I was going to catch at school. Just as I remember as a kid being ecstatic when they won and literally depressed when they lost. I can remember my old man be like, what are you doing moping around, man? What's your problem? Steelers lost? Oh, come on, man. Get off that. I'm like, yeah, I know, Dad. But, hey, by the way, how many of you adults are still like that? But I can remember as a kid, my mood really depended on how the team did. And I've long said, if your mood or your state of mind or most importantly, the quality of your life is based on how your team does, that's a pretty rough way to go through life because you have absolutely no control or say in any of that. But that's how it was for me as a kid. And I'm sure that's how it is for a lot of you still yet, at least to a certain extent. Because why? Because sports is an escape. Sports is a form of entertainment. Sports is an obsession to many people. And by the way, this is why I'm sitting in this chair right now. This is why I've done what I've done for the past three decades plus. Because like a lot of you, I grew up obsessed with sports, obsessed with the NFL, obsessed with Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, boxing, everything. And then when I realized one day that I didn't quite have what it took to be a pro athlete, I was determined to figure out a way to get into the business of sports some other way because there was nothing in this world I loved more than I loved sports. And much of that and much of my career goes back to that one single moment. One of the single greatest moments in the history of sports, the Immaculate Reception, a description that I've long felt was almost as awesome as the play itself. The Immaculate Reception, made by a great player and a class act. So, RIP, Franco. If any of you Steeler fans want to share your thoughts or memories, I'm definitely here for that. The rest of you ghouls can save it. Because if his passing weren't sad enough, it's even sadder that it happened right before he was going to once again be recognized for being the icon and the all-time great that he was. So to me, that's a really sad thing and a personal thing to me. 
Also, you know, it was sad. It was sad that things ended as badly as they did for him in Pittsburgh at that time. Franco Harris in Seattle Seahawks gear is still one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Me seeing Ron Say in Cubs gear thinks that that was weird, but that was even more weird. But luckily, he reconciled with the team, and they were going to retire his number this weekend. And it was such a big week because it's the 50th anniversary. And that in and of itself blows my mind. 50 years? A half a century since that play happened. I mean, I want to be like the guy that I knew. I knew this cat when I went to college. And he had this Jeep. And I thought this dude had kind of a good look. He had kind of a cool look about him. He had a cool Jeep when nobody had cool Jeeps. But this dude had a cool Jeep. And one day he showed me how he stopped the odometer. He was going to sell the car. And he stopped the odometer. And that, that was some kind of incredibly foreign concept to me. I'm like, yo, bro. Bro, that's cool. That's jacked up. That's jacked up, but that's cool. He's like, yeah, man. I stopped that odometer like 5,000 miles ago. I'm like, that's jacked up, but that's cool. I would love to figure out a way to stop the odometer of life. If that happened 50 years ago, I would love to find a way to at least for 5,000 miles stop the odometer in my head. 50 years. The Immaculate Reception. How many times have you seen that grainy video of Terry Bradshaw going back to pass and throwing it downfield to, and by the way, a super underrated name and one of my favorite names ever, Frenchie Fuqua. The ball intended for Frenchie Fuqua only to have Jack Tatum slam into him and the ball ricocheting off. And Franco, you want to talk about alert. Franco coming out of nowhere to catch the ball off his shoe tips. And not only make that play, but house it. And one more thing about that play that I think a lot of people forget. The Steelers had never won a playoff game in their history before that play. That was their first playoff win ever. So that's something. So I want to get that in. And uh, that's sad. That's there's never a good time to pass, but especially this week. But that was a big, big part of my childhood. Something else. One day I came home. It's the weirdest, th- the weirdest things that you remember. There was a Steel City can of beer in my mailbox. Who the hell gave me that? I didn't even know such a thing existed. And, and, and why did somebody in Los Angeles have a can of Steel City beer? You know, full on, like, the team picture on the front of it. I, I revered that can of beer. Like, almost 10 years I had that thing. It, did, it never exploded. I took care of it. I almost drank it once, like, 10 years after the fact. And it, one of my boys was like, are you an idiot? Dude, dude, don't drink the beer. I'm like, come on, man. This is like a moment. Hey, idiot, don't drink the beer. You've had it 10 years on your shelf. I, I never found out who dropped that beer on me. Good night, now!